Thank you for joining us today at Our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in seven different locations. We hope that today's message encourages and empowers you on your spiritual journey and helps you grow deeper in your relationship with God. To learn more about Our Savior's Church and how you can get involved, you can visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. Today, we're going to get back on the series, sermon series, and that's Crazy Love. And I want to know, you've heard the last two weeks of Crazy Love. Has anybody been challenged by the love of Jesus? Jesus' love is crazy. Jesus' love goes beyond. Jesus' love, in in fact, it freaks my mind out on how Jesus can love even his enemies. Jesus can go on the cross and say, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Y'all, I don't know if I can do that if somebody's killing me, if I can come back and have forgiveness in my heart, but I know he's still working on me just like he is you, right? That crazy love. And it's the type of love that we all need. Can you imagine if we loved like Jesus in this house? What type of bride would we be if we loved like Jesus? Crazy love. Today I'm going to deliver a very tough message for me. Thank you, Vic. It's a message that I'm wrestling with. And that message is entitled Border War. And if I had to put a subtitle on that, it would be Loving Past Cultural and religious borders. Pastor Eugene challenged me this week, and you know what? I didn't like his challenge. You know how it is when your your pastor tells you something and you know it's right, but you don't want to do it? That's how it is sometimes with me and Pastor Eugene. He he told me something. He said, Myron, I want you to get on stage, and I want you to talk about the book that you wrote in 2017, and I want you to deliver a message which is similar to that book. And I said, well, Pastor Eugene, I don't want to get on stage and talk about my book. I, can, I have a really good message, I feel, and I can just deliver the message, but leaving that book out. And that particular book is called Race Lift, and I wrote this back in 2017, and Race Lift has to do with some of my experiences as a young man growing up in Evangeline Parish and Calcasieu Parish and Louisiana, going to Virginia Tech, uh, all those different places that I lived. And even as a little boy, I found myself trying to bring people together. Do you know how hard it is to try to bring people together who are at odds with one another? And When I started to write this book, God brought me in another direction, and he brought me in a direction that I did not want to go. Because when I started to write the book, I was looking at reconciliation, and I was looking at the black and the white community and how at times we are at odds. And I said, God, I don't want to write about this because I'm going to expose some things that I think should be kept in the family. Because at times when we look at race, we start to put ourselves, I'm in this race, I'm in that race, and we start to consider that race our family, and our family becomes even higher than the kingdom of God. And so when I wrote the book, 
I believe the Spirit of God was telling me, take it in a different direction, Myron. And I started to go in a direction that started to talk about the black community, the community that I was raised in on the streets of Mamou, Louisiana, and Lake Charles, Louisiana. And I took some experiences, not only mine, but experiences from other people who I've talked to and interviewed, and I collectively put it in a book, and we started the book out like this. It started to talk about our own flaws. And I said, God, I don't want to present that to the people. I don't want to present that to the people that I'm trying to, you're saying we're going to reconcile with, and I've got to present my own flaws because I would rather talk about their flaws. How about in, when we start reconciliation out, can they start talking about what they did, and I can just be quiet and I can accept it. But God says that's not reconciliation. So I want to remind you that the book will be out back. I'm not selling the book. I have a few copies that you can just go ahead and take. But the book is really hitting the black community hard on certain subjects. And I didn't want to go out there. I didn't want to put myself out there. I didn't want to put the race out there. But the Bible says, confess your sins to one another that what? You may be healed. So how can we have healing if we continue to say and deny the things that we're in and start to point the finger at everybody else and not look at yourselves? I'm not talking about race now. I'm talking about individuals. So I ended up writing the book, and at the end of the book, I said, reconciliation, you've got it. Before we can reconcile with anybody, we've got to have reconciliation with Jesus Christ, the Father, and Jesus Christ. So the book was hard for me to write, y'all. And some of the reasons why I wrote the book, as I told you, I grew up in the big city of Mamou in Evangeline Parish. And I can remember, I only went to Mamou High for a semester and a, maybe a month that I moved to Lake Charles, my family did. And in that semester, I remember when we went to the gymnasium on rainy days. Anybody from Mamou that's around my age knows this. On one side were the white students. We were separated by the gym floor. So in the stands on the visitor side was the white students, and on the home side was the black students. And you know what? It looked like black and white, everything down the middle was nothing. And you, we went there every single day and almost every morning whenever we had bad weather, and we just got used to it. It was just okay because culture taught us that that's okay to separate. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? And so we had a border that was the gym floor that we did not want to cross because somebody might talk about us. I want you to understand this. Even in the community, we had a football field that separated. Black people lived on this side. White people lived on the other side. Somebody from Mamou knows what I'm talking about. Borders. Borders. So in the context of this message, I want to give you the definition of borders. Borders are boundaries we put up to emotionally, 
and or physically separate ourselves from others, thus withholding our love towards them. Borders convince us and tells others that my love stops here. You don't deserve the love that God has put inside me. Think about the statement that I just said. You don't deserve the love that God has put inside me. I think I'm touching somebody today. Borders allow us to limit our love for people so we can justify our feelings toward them. At times we put up what? Race borders. That's different type of borders. This is not an all-inclusive list. They're class borders, rich or poor. They're political borders. Democrats, Republicans, they're religious borders. The world wants to convince us that these borders protect us from the people on the other side. As believers, we know that we are never protected when we walk outside the will of God. Don't we know this? Because listen, y'all, I want you to hear this. Jesus' love for people knows no boundaries. I want the Opelousas campus to hear me very clearly. Look around you. Look at God's people. Look at, are we going to focus on the colors of skin? Are we going to focus on who you voted for? And will those particular things that are of the earth, will that keep us separated by borders? In the current state of our country, religion and politics or culture have intertwined much like in Jesus' day. Would you agree with that? Come on, 830, I don't want you to be silent on me. We're going to have a conversation. In Jesus' day, religion and culture came together and said this. We love God. We love country. We love our neighbor so long as they look and think like us. Now, last week we heard Pastor Eugene's messages, right, about loving your enemy, about love your neighbor as you love yourself. But in the Jewish culture, they changed that around. I can put borders up. I don't have to love those people. The Jews lived a life that said, we don't have to love the adulterer. We don't have to love the Romans. We definitely don't have to love the Samaritans. And we can love women when convenient. How you feel about that, women? That ain't cool, right? I want you to also understand that if I pause in this message, which I may a lot, I'm just asking the Holy Spirit to help me. Get me through it. I want us to turn to 1 John 4.19. And listen, body of Christ. Listen, Opelousas Campus. Let's pay attention to this word. The word of God says, We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a what? Is a what? Is a what? For whoever does not love their brother and sister 
whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. Do you believe in this scripture? Is this scripture starting to touch your heart? Are you looking at yourself and saying, do I truly love God? Because love is a demonstration, right? We learned that from last week. Love is about demonstrating your love. God said God demonstrated his love while we were yet sinners. It didn't say God demonstrated his love to people who loved him. He demonstrated, to peop- he demonstrated his love to people who hated him. And that's me and you. Our love for God is a response to his love for us. The reason we love God is because he loves us. So don't go patting yourself on the back and thinking that we're all holier than thou. We love because God loves us. And in return, if God loves us and the love of God is in us, how can we hold his love back to his people? Come on, Appaloosas. Listen, although Christians will not say this out loud, their actions sometimes scream, we don't have to love Democrats. We don't have to love Republicans. We don't have to love certain white or black people. We don't have to love homosexuals. We're never going to admit it. We would never say that out loud. But in our hearts, where nobody can come in and look at but God, we think we're hiding some stuff and we start to come on Sunday mornings feeling good about ourselves. But in our hearts, there's some things that's dark right there and we need God to come in and expunge that darkness out, but we won't confess it with our mouths. So therefore, we can't get healed. We pridefully give ourselves permission to not extend love to certain people, which justifies our right to abort God's mission for us. We don't have to go and tell, not to those people. God, you all right with me not saying a word to them. That's some bad people. And listen to this. And if someone on our perceived side of the border crosses to the other side, we give ourselves permission to judge them and label them. You're a sellout. You two-faced. You a turncoat. You rhino. You dino. We start giving each other these animal terms. <laughs> Back in my mood, when I looked at the border, can I be honest with you? There are times that, are you okay with me being honest with you about my heart? And where my heart was as a 15-year-old black kid in Mama, Louisiana. I did not want to cross the border because if I crossed the border, I was afraid somebody was going to label me. Because this is what I heard as a 15-year-old kid. When I saw, every now and then, you saw a little sprinkle of white and a little sprinkle of black that crossed the sides. And then you started to hear Oreo. (laughs) Uncle Tom. 
in lover. So what would make a 15-year-old child want to go cross that border and he's hearing all that. And listen, the kids in that community, they were Catholic, they were Baptist, they were non-denomination. So it wasn't like you're talking about kids that didn't believe in God. It wasn't a whole bunch of atheists in Mamu. It was kids in the church. It was kids I saw going to St. Anne's Catholic Church on 6th Street. It was kids going to St. Paul, Zion Travelers, St. Luke Baptist Church all over Mamu, Louisiana. And we didn't want to cross the border because culture said it was not good. And because of the labels that I was afraid of, I didn't want to talk about this book today. Because this book is not an easy read. It hits a community kind of hard. But what, it hits a community, but the things that's in that community is also in other communities as well. So if another community reads about this community, they, they can get the healing of God as well because it's all, relate, it all related to us. We're all people. We're all humans. We all have faults. But you know what? There are times that we look at other man's faults and we explode his faults. But with us, are we good? We can be doing the same thing, but we're good. And so for me right now, even as your pastor, I I had some pushback on Pastor You. Pastor You, I don't want to do this. Because if somebody reads this book, I'm going, to have to have, I'm going to probably get some labels that I have to deal with, and I don't want to have those labels. I don't want to cross that border today, Pastor Eugene. At times, Christians refuse to associate with or demonstrate love towards people outside their circle or their boundary because they are afraid of being labeled by other Christians. Our culture has taught us to believe that proximity to people equals support of people's lifestyles and agendas. We're guilty by association. We start to say birds of a feather flock together, not all the, not all the time, because as Christians, my feathers are not like theirs. That's sinners. I got a different pair, I got some different feathers. I'm a new creation. <laughs> So if I'm around, if you see Pastor Myron around, in, around some people who are sinners, it's not birds of a feather flock together. You don't know what's happening in that situation. Huh? And, and that's a myth. But let's look how Jesus debunked that myth. Let's look, turn to Matthew 11, chapter verse 19. Look at this. this is, man, this is good, y'all. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, here is a glutton and a drunkard. Now remember, if it's in yellow, you read with me. Here is a and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Labels. Jesus crossed the border. <laughs> his love is crazy, but his love is too crazy for religious folk. So the myth is proximity equals support, right? So if I get too close to those people, they're going to say I support them. J- 
Jesus, they said he was a friend of tax collectors. Now, we know tax collectors, they were hated, right? They were hated because they were taking money, getting taxes from the Jews, and they were then giving uh, those taxes to the Roman government. Huh? They would be called unpatriotic if they were here today, right? You're giving money to to a regime that's killing us? And then you're taking some on the side and you're putting it in your pocket? Man, I don't want to be around those people. But Jesus was right by them. Jesus was loving them. And then sinners, those who didn't follow the law, because, you know, pious people, we don't, we don't do anything wrong. Bunch of sinners over here, but I'm saved by the blood of Jesus. Is this okay for you? And look, all this stuff is happening. Jesus is a friend of sinners. And I wonder why Jesus did this. I wonder why they put those labels on Jesus and Jesus just kept on going. Because listen to this. The scriptures say God is love. The scriptures say love is kind. The scriptures say God's kindness leads to repentance. So if Jesus is amongst the people, then what do you think is going to happen? So if we get on the other side of the border and we have the love of God in us and we start to express love to other people, what do you think will happen? Jesus didn't walk around sinning with the sinners. And he didn't condone their sin. That's not what love is. His love had a purpose, and that was to draw the sinners to him. I want you to understand that because at times in the church, the world tries to make us feel guilty about some of the things happening in the world, so now we just start condoning their sin. Oh, you're good. It's all right. I'm going to support you. That ain't love either. Why would I want to, how can I love you and I know you're on your way to hell? How can I love you if I don't care that you're on your way to hell? How can I love you if I know that you can live an abundant and a great life if you accept Jesus as your Savior, but I hold it to myself? That's not love either. Now, let's look at the, let's look at the story. Can y'all come with me? Y'all still with me? Let's look at the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman. Some of us, we, we know that story, huh? That's why he's saying amen. You know that story, right? <laughs> Look at John 4.4. 4. Now, Jesus had to go through Samaria. Right, let me read that again. Now, Jesus had to go through Samaria. You know why he had to go through Samaria? Even though, listen... Most Jews, they wouldn't go from Galilee to Jerusalem. They wouldn't take that road through Samaria. Those pious Jews, they go around and they take the long way. I'm not taking this road. But Jesus had to go through Samaria because love is excited about taking up new territory and not enclosing itself within a border. Jesus couldn't help himself. He had to go through Samaria. And for those of you who don't know Samaria, Samaria was a place that Jews did not go. They didn't want to be affiliated with Samarians. Because of race, because of religion. Let's go to John 4, 7 through 9. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into a town to buy food. Verse 9. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? Read with me, for Jews do not associate 
with Samaritans. Are there some people groups you don't associate with? Jesus' love crossed the border. (laughs) Jews and Samaritans hated one another. Hated one another. A lot of times we read scripture not understanding the context in which it was written. They hated one another. But Jesus, who was born a Jew, man and God, I have to go through Samaria. Because I have to, there's there's somebody waiting for me. Somebody needs to hear my message. Look at look what happens. So he goes to Samaria. He meets with a Samaritan woman. And then let's look at verse 16. Go and get your husband, Jesus told her. I don't have a husband. The woman replied, Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband. For you have had five husbands. And you aren't even married to the man you're living with right now. And look how Jesus, look how Jesus plays this. You certainly spoke the truth. He asked a question and the truth came out of her. He didn't even have to speak the truth to her. He allowed her to speak the truth to him. Now, John the Baptist would have said, repent. I, I probably would have been old John the Baptist type of preacher. Jesus is more subtle with his approach. John the Baptist, repent or you're going to hell. If you look at this passage, proximity does not equal support of a lifestyle or agenda because in our terms, we would say the woman is what? Shacking? Shacking? That's what we would say. Man she was with wasn't her her husband. So Jesus, he, he had a purpose. He came, he spoke to her, but there was a purpose. Proximity does not equal lifestyle, uh, lifestyle or agenda, and proximity ushers love through the gospel of Christ to reach the lost. Jesus was there for a purpose. But hey, Jesus came in, he crosses the border, but then there's a border war within the disciples. Now you remember, the, the disciples are Jews. They're going to Samaria with Jesus. Look at John 4, 27. And look at this. Just then his disciples came back. They were shocked to find him talking to a woman. And none of them had the nerve to ask. Hold up. You're going to take us through Samaria and then you got the nerve of talking to a woman? And and I'm I'm going to break this all down. Okay? And none of them had the nerve to ask, what do you want with her? Or why are you talking to her? Like some of us, the disciples were fighting a war within themselves. They reached the border in their walk where love came to a stop. Has that happened to you? Because there was a religious border. The the Samaritans, they had mixed commands. They, They believed in mixed commands of the laws of Moses. They believed in some parts of Judaism, but then other parts that had all these superstitions. So there was a religious border that said, hey, don't talk to those sinners. There was a racial border because they were of mixed descent. They were half Jew and half Gentile. So like, uh-uh, we're not talking to those people. They ain't pure. And then there was a gender border because rabbis discouraged men from speaking to women in public. Women were inferior in that culture. They had, Jesus had, and the disciples had three borders all around so that love wouldn't keep going. Although Jesus took the leap of faith, Jesus took his love other places. The disciples like, hold up. 
So my question to you today is that why didn't the disciples ask the questions that were in their heart? Because the questions were, what do you want with her? Why are you talking to her? That's the questions that came in because they were having a mind and a heart battle, just like we have. In their minds, the disciples knew that Jesus was doing the right thing by loving outside Jewish borders. Their mind. Sometimes we know the word of God. We hear the preacher preaching. We hear, we hear about crazy love, what Jesus did with his love. But look at this. However, their hearts were hesitant to cross these borders with Jesus. That's not just the disciples. That's us. That's me. That's you. That's why I'm struggling to give this message. Because my mind knows what's right. But my heart is saying, don't do that, Myron. Jesus' love was just too crazy for the disciples, and at times his love is too crazy for me and you. Crazy love has a purpose, y'all. Let's look at John 4, 28 through 30. Let's look at this. The woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Wow. Crazy love brought truth to her. Crazy love brought conviction to her. And if Jesus doesn't go to Samaria, this woman doesn't get convicted by his words. And look what else she does. She said, could he possibly be the Messiah? Now she's starting to think. Now, now, now God is starting to work on her. Huh? It's starting to draw her to him. That's what happens when crazy love crosses that border and we start, they start to experience the love of God through us. The crazy love starts to go out and start to draw people to God. They start to get convicted. They start to get excited because she's excited right here. And look at what she says in verse 30. So the people came streaming from the village to see him. She got everybody pumped up about Jesus. Now my question, are you having people pumped up about Jesus or do you have a border around you and your love can't get outside that border because of your culture? Because of your politics. Because of your race. Boudreaux, I think I might be touching a nerve on somebody. Love convicted her of her sins. She was an outcast in her community. She was an adulterer. She's shacking up. Others put up a religious border around her. The villagers, they didn't want to talk to her. I don't want to be around a sinner. But look at this. As she witnessed Jesus cross the border, she became emboldened to cross the border with her love. Because there was a religious abort around her and the people. But she still went out. And ultimately, her love convinced people in her village to draw close to Jesus. When borders are crossed, the love of God can freely spread. Ooh. So practically, how can you cross over the border that's preventing your love from spreading to others? How can you do this? Number one, be, be courageous. God over culture. 
remember, Jesus had to go through Samaria. I know there are some labels that's going to, some people are going to talk about you. You're a sellout. Pastor Myron, you're a sellout. Pastor Myron, you don't care about certain people. Well, Pastor Myron, why didn't you write a book and you start doing that about the other people and you did that about us? You're going to read that book and it might upset your spirit. I'm going to be honest, it upset mine. And I wrote it. So I'll agree with you if you come say it upset my spirit. I, I agree with you. Be courageous. Number two, remember, God's love crossed borders to chase after you. So we are the Samaritan woman. We are the adulterer. We are the leper. Remember, nobody wanted to touch people with leprosy, and Jesus touched them, healed him. The people we stay away from, Jesus goes and he visits. Be courageous. Remember what God has done for you. Number three, be steadfast. You will be tested by your family, your culture, your politics, and even your religion to stay within the border. outside of it because I'm going to stamp you with a label if you do don't, don't upset the family I know love is crazy but let other people do that I, let them do that Jesus thing but I want to leave you with this John 15 verse 12 and this is Jesus' commandment to us. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. Love each other in the same way that I have loved you. Think about the boundaries between you and Jesus. Sin. There's a great chasm, right? Great chasm. You're all the way on this other side with your sin. You didn't, you didn't know Jesus. And he still chased you. So what if Jesus knew what to do was right and he didn't do it? Where would you be? Where would I be? I want that to stick in our hearts the next time we draw borders and we put borders up not to go and love other people. Now, and I also want you to understand in this message, the enemy will try to confuse you that when I'm talking about borders, that I'm starting to talk about some things within the United States of America, some political things that's happening. This is a spiritual message. Don't let the enemy start to twist your mind. And I probably should have said that at the very beginning of, uh, the beginning of my message, because when we talk about borders, because we're so ingrained in culture, all we can do is think culture. So when you start to speak about spiritual matters, culture raises its voice up so that spiritual matters can't spread to your heart. I don't want this to happen to our campus. 
every head bowed, all eyes closed. There's someone who wants to respond to the love of Jesus, just like the Samaritan woman. Because maybe this message or maybe the Holy Spirit has been working in you, has been convicting you of your sin. And the Bible says, what can wash away my sins? What? What is it? Nothing but the blood, right? The blood of Jesus washes away our sins. And right now, in order for you to have the love of Jesus, the Holy Spirit has to reside in your heart. In order for the Holy Spirit to reside in your heart, you have to believe that Jesus is your Lord and Savior. And when you believe that Jesus is your Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit comes in you and your character changes. You are a new creation. Your mind changes. Your, t- your talk changes. I'm not saying you're perfect, but I'm saying that Jesus starts to take some of that junk out of you, throws that stuff out, and puts some new stuff in you. And at this time, there are some of you here today, you want more to your life. And being born again is as simple as ABC. First of all, A, admit that you're a sinner. B, believe that Jesus took on your sins and he bore them on the cross. And C, confess that Jesus is your Lord and Savior. If that's you, raise your hand. If that's you, raise your hand. Thank you, brother. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Come on, let's take a minute. Thank you, ma'am. Let's take a minute. The Holy Spirit's convicting some people. Let's take a minute and let the Holy Spirit do his work. There's some borders you put up. Even in religion, there's some religious borders. Maybe it's been some church hurt and you have borders up and you don't want to cross it. But Jesus is crossing that border over the sea to touch you right now. Come on. Thank you. Come on, let's join our faith with their faith. Let's repeat this prayer. The prayer does not save us, but the prayer is a confession. Repeat this after me. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe you're the son of God. I believe that on the cross, you took my sin, my shame, and my guilt, and you died for it. And I believe you rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with your father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn from my sin. I repent to follow you with all my heart, no matter what it costs me. And I declare that God is my Father. Jesus is my Lord and Savior. The Holy Spirit is my helper. And heaven is now my home. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, let's give God some praise.